All right, uh, thank you again for joining our Bible study tonight. Our topic is about the one church ruler because nowadays there are many organizations who are led by one dictator type ruler or leader over their assembly or their church. But is this the will of Yahuwah Abba? We're going to go and determine that by using scripture. We're going to test for deception because this is what we uncovered in our previous study. But before we go uh, and test uh, this idea of a one church ruler, let's first look and by way of review, kind of look back at Matthew chapter 24, because it contains the warnings of our King Yahusha, which signals the time of the end and his second coming. So let's go back to Matthew 24, and the verses are 4, 5, 11, 23, 25. If you notice, uh, the common theme that Yahusha mentions that we need to heed is the warning of deception. And we're not surprised in the last days was going to be the work of deception because this is what the devil's going to do. In fact, Revelation tells us the devil is going to deceive the whole world and he will be intense in this work because he knows he has a short time left. This is why Yahushua tells us to heed to be watchful and to test for deception. And so there are many kinds of deception. He has his fingerprints over many things and he wants to deceive us in different areas of work and service to, to Yahuwah God, con, uh, including, for example, when it comes to origins, where did we come from? Did we evolve or were we created? The scripture canon, what books are inspired? The calendar, how can we know? the schedule of the festivals of Yahuwah and doctrine when it comes to the teachings we need to have faith in. And so there are many deceptions in these areas. And in our succeeding episodes of the BQA, we're going to test these categories one by one to make sure that we uncover the truth of Yahuwah Abba through the word of God as best as we can through the help of the Holy Spirit. However, although there are many kinds of deceptions, we also know there is the most impactful deception in the last days because it will have a direct influence, a direct consequence concerning our salvation. And we talked about that before. And when we study the chiastic structure of Matthew 24, we see the importance of the deception concerning Yahushua, the Christ, in 24-5, many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. So the most impactful deception involves uh, Yahushua, the Christ. What the devil wants to do is to place someone else as an option, an alternative, so that people can place their hope and trust and confidence in someone or something else other than Yahusha the Christ. Why? Because he wants to deceive. He does not want people to be saved because he knows once we place our trust in Yahusha, we're going to be saved. He doesn't want that. So he wants to plant these different types of Christs. And he does this by deceiving people, which is found here in 2 Corinthians 11, 2 down to 4. Apostle Paul says, I am jealous for you, just as God is. You are like a pure virgin whom I have promised in marriage to one man only, Christ himself. One apostle for a while. Those who belong to Yahushua, we are likened to what? A virgin who is going to be wed to who? Yahushua. If that is the case, what should be our mindset? Our affection, our devotion must only be for who? Yahushua, not any kind to any executive leader here on earth, but solely to Yahushua. But take a look at what the devil is going to do. I'm afraid that your minds will be corrupted and that you will abandon your full and pure devotion to Christ in the same way that Eve was deceived by the snake's clever lies. And so what the devil is going to do, he's going to take away our devotion that should be according to Yahushua and give it to someone else. We need to be careful about doing that. So the most impactful deception is to cause people to place their trust in someone 
or something other than Yahusha. We call that an antichrist. The word antichrist doesn't simply mean against Yahusha, right? Against Christ. It also means instead of Christ, a replacement for the true Christ. And so there's going to be antichrist figures that we need to be aware of and reject so that we can give our full devotion, our full commitment and trust to Yahusha. Apostle John, in fact, warns us that the Antichrist is coming. When Apostle John penned these words, the Antichrist is not yet around because he's going to come around in the future. And this future was revealed by Yahusha himself in Matthew 24, verse 15, concerning the time when you see the abomination of desolation. There's going to be an event. And many people will recognize this event because it was described back in Daniel. And what was described back in Daniel concerns this figure, this person who will be a dictator, and he will sit at the temple of God. He will cause the abomination of desolation. And so this is what Apostle Paul warns us. Second Thessalonians 2, 3 down to 4, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So Apostle Paul gives us a warning, and he got this warning from Yahusha HaMashiach in Matthew 24, and also from Daniel chapter 9. He knows there's going to be the Antichrist, who is called the man of sin, the son of perdition, and what will he do? He will in the temple of God. That's the Antichrist Apostle John was talking about, Yahusha was talking about, and this is going to happen prior to the return of our King Mashiach Yahushua. And how will this person, this person who will sit as God in the temple of God, be able to do this? How can one person do all of this? Revelation 13, and we're go going to go into a lot of details concerning this Antichrist when we study Revelation, but uh, let's go ahead and take a look at a few verses here. Revelation 13, 1 to 2, then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head, his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And so this Antichrist, who's going to sit as God in the temple of God, who's going to give him that power to do that? It's going to be the dragon. Who is that again? That's the devil. So he's backed up and turbocharged, if you can call it that, by the power of the devil. So he's going to have great authority. Why? What will he be able to do? Five down to eight. He was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. This is why he's going to set up the abomination that leads to desolation. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. Remember, he will sit in the temple of God as though he is God. He exalts himself, which is one of the characteristics of the Antichrist. They exalt themselves, right, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been found written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So what? how does the book of Revelation describe the authority and the power of this Antichrist? Bible says not only will he speak blasphemy against God, he will also be worshipped as though he is God. And he will have authority over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And this is why we can say the Antichrist is going to be a one-world 
ruler, a one world dictator. If you know about dictators of the past, they're nothing. This one will topple all of them. There's going to be no dictator like this one. He's going to have power over the earth. He is going to be backed up by his father, who is the dragon or the devil. This is what Apostle John warned about. The Antichrist is coming. But he also said there is already many Antichrists who have come. Now, what does that mean? Why did Apostle John said the Antichrist is going to come? But there were already many antichrists who have come. In 1 John 4, in the verses 3, but every spirit does not acknowledge Yahusha is not from God. This is the spirit of the antichrist. And so if, although the antichrist himself is not yet here, okay, the spirit of the antichrist is alive and well. It is at work in so many people, not only in the present, but even in the past. And what is the spirit of the Antichrist? It is the spirit of rulership, okay? It's ruling over people, a dictator. Uh, and so if we were to ask uh, you the following question, what do Nimrod, Nebuchadnezzar, Stalin, Lenin, Genghis Khan, Hussein, Hitler, Mao and Shaka Zulu have in common. What do they have in common? Any guesses? What do they all have in common? They were all brutal. They ruled uh, over the people brutally. And that is the spirit of the Antichrist in the political realm. However, what's more dangerous, if there is the spirit of the Antichrist, in the religious realm. Because in that case, many people might be led to place their hope and trust in that spiritual ruler. So what is the spirit of the Antichrist? Their purpose is to replace Christ. And so the affection, the devotion that is due Yahusha, they get for themselves. They assume power and authority that belong only to Christ. Christ is mediator, forgives sins. He's the one in control of the book of life, so on and so forth. He is the one who rules over the people. The, the Antichrist will try to rule over the people, will enforce worship, and it is the spirit of dictatorship. So dictatorship, rule in religion, has already happened in the past. It is the spirit of the papacy, because the Pope is the ruler of the Catholic Church. Whatever he says, that is what is followed by everyone. They consider that the will of God. What the Pope does and decides to do is considered the will of God. This is why if you question the Pope, it is like questioning God himself, and you're going to be excommunicated. This is the dictatorship rule in religion. It is the papacy. So, so if the Antichrist is the one world ruler, religious leaders who have and operate by the spirit of the Antichrist, they establish the one church ruler. There's one ruler who will lead the entire church. We need to be aware and be watchful of rulers and leaders like this. And to do that, to be watchful, Apostle John tells us to test the spirits. We need to test the spirits. How do we do that? Hebrews 4 and the verses 12, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword it cuts all the way through to where soul and spirit meet, to where joints and marrow come together. It judges the desires and thoughts of the heart. So how can we test for false prophets? How can we test for leaders, spiritual, religious leaders who are operating according to the spirit of the Antichrist instead of the spirit of Christ? We have to test it by using what? Scripture, the word of God. Why must we use the word of God? because it is sharper than any double-edged uh, sword. In fact, it is so sharp, it is able to cut all the way to where the soul and the spirit meet. Do you know what that means? It means the word of God is able to discern the difference between the spirit and the soul. You see, when it comes to the spirit and the soul, they're so closely uh, knit together, um, they are so alike 
it's very difficult to differentiate between what is soul, what is spirit, what is the function of soul, what is the function of spirit. And so to cut through to where the, the, the soul and the spirit meet, it is the word of God. In other words, the word of God is precise. And it's this precision that the word of God gives us that empowers us to see the difference between what is true and what am I going to say next? Word of Yahuwah and Yahusha exposes the difference between what is true and what am I going to say next? Between what is true and false. <laughs> That's part of it. That's that, that will work, right? The word of God, the word of Yahuwah and Yahusha exposes the difference between what is true and what is almost true. You see, when it comes to crafting a perfect deception, the closer it is to the truth without it being true, the more deceptive it is. This is why we need to use the word of God to test, to test the ideas put forth by those who advocate for one church rulership. This is why today, before we end this Bible study, we're going to test some of the biblical passages used by those who advocate for one church rulership. And they are as follows. First John chapter 1, verse 3, Colossians 1.25, Hebrews 13, 17. Remember, uh, those who are going to present themselves as leaders of the church, they're going to use biblical passages. Just because you use a biblical passage doesn't mean it is what they're saying is the truth. This is why we have to test it. We have to look at scripture. We need to look at the passages that they use, which they say uh, sorts what they believe about church leadership. First John 1.3, Colossians 1.25, Hebrews 13, verse 17. So let's begin with First John 1.3. How many here are familiar with the content of First John 1.3? Anyone here? I think you've mastered First John 1.3. You probably don't recognize it, but once I begin to read it, you're going to say, ah, yeah, I remember that passage. Let's read 1 John 1 in the verses 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Yahushua Christ. Do you remember this passage of Scripture? Yeah. Do we believe in this passage of Scripture? Yes. But how do some use, or should I say misuse, 1 John chapter 1, Verse 3, they claim that according to 1 John 1, 3, to have fellowship with the Father and the Son, you must first have fellowship with their quote-unquote church leadership. This is why even in their prayers, they include in their prayers during the congregation, please connect us with the spirit of the church leadership so that we can be connected with Yahuwah. We can, we can be connected to God and to Christ, right? You probably still remember praying like that, and I repent if ever I have prayed that way before. Can you imagine praying that we are connected to the Spirit in this the church leadership to be connected with God? That is blasphemy, but they get that from 1 John 1 and 3, but let's look at how they use, or rather misuse, 1 John 1 and 3. Let's go back to 1 John 1, and the verse is 3. What they do is they say uh, that you also may have fellowship with us, right? And then they say, who is the us? And then they will say, it is Apostle John, who was the leader of the first century church. But who are the leaders of the church today? It is us. And so they say, you, you need to have fellowship with us, the church leadership today, so that you can have fellowship with the Father and with the Son Yahushua Christ. So that's how they use that verse. However, when it says fellowship with us, did Apostle John mean fellowship with future, quote-unquote, church leaders? No. In fact, who is the us referred to there, and why do we need to understand that? Let's read the context of the passage, 1 John 1, 1 to 3, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Life appeared 
we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Yahusha Christ. And so an apostle John says, you should have fellowship with us. Because our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Yahushua Christ. Who was He referring to? It mentions there in, in 1 John chapter 1, we, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. What is Apostle John saying here? We need to have fellowship with those who have become eyewitnesses. Of Yahushua. They were the ones who heard him talk, who seen him with their own eyes, who have looked at their hand as his at his hands and actually touched Yahushua, the church leaders today. Can they do that? No. Apostle John is telling us to have fellowship with the people who were first account, who were first-hand witnesses, who were eyewitnesses to Yahushua. And because they were first and witnesses, they were eyewitnesses to Yahushua, what was authorized for them to do. The Bible says we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you eternal life. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. So what Apostle John is telling us is this. We are to have fellowship with the people who walked with, talked with, and saw Yahushua for themselves. And we're given the right to write the Bible, right? We're given the authority to produce the testimony. The testimony is found in the word of God. We are to have, to have fellowship with them by heeding what they testified to, which is who? Yahushua. And so the us with whom we must have fellowship with refers to the apostles who were eyewitnesses and were authorized to testify about the word of Life. So when we read 1 John 1 and 3, we should say, brothers and sisters, have fellowship with the apostles and what they preached. Do not say, brothers, sisters, have fellowship with us. There's a big difference. Do you see how cunning the spirit of deception is? Do you see how what is true is so different from what is almost true? And do you see how what is almost true is very cunning and cleverly devised, right? And so instead of preaching, the church leaders today, the church leaders should say, don't listen to us. Listen to what the apostles preach about Yahushua. Why? Because they were the one authorized to do that. And they were the eyewitnesses to Yahushua. This is what Apostle John is talking about. So how can we have this fellowship and maintain it with Yahushua? First John 1, 5 to 7 this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Yahusha, his son, purifies us from all sin. So how can we have fellowship with those who had a firsthand account uh, an eyewitness of Yahushua, and were authorized to write the testament about Yahushua. That's why it's called the New Testament. They were to testify of Yahushua. The Bible says we need to heed the message. We need to live according to the light. We need to walk in the light. How do we do that? Read the New Testament. And so what the church leaders today should be preaching is this. Instead of saying, be united to us, they should say, be united with the apostles who preach the word of God about Yahushua. Even the apostles never preach. You know, look at us. As a matter of fact, even Apostle Paul said, for we do not preach ourselves, but Yahushua Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Yahushua's sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine on our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so Apostle Paul did not say, you know, unite with us. He did not say, he did not preach himself. 
The apostle preached who? Yahusha. Be united with, with Yahusha. He preached to go to Yahusha. That's what his goal was, not to bring people himself. And so the church leaders today, they should do the same thing. They should preach Yahusha, especially since they're not even eyewitnesses. Who is, the, who is an eyewitness here? I mean, since 1914, I mean, 1914, was there an eyewitness of Yahusha here? Did Yahusha or Yahuwah talk with them personally? No. This is why we need to heed the message of Apostle John when he said, have fellowship with us, it refers to the apostles and their work of putting together the New Testament scripture, which testify of who again? Yahusha. So the deception is this. They will use 1 John 1, 3, and they will say to have fellowship with the Father and the Son, you must first have fellowship with church leadership. But church leadership can make, can have wrong doctrines. But the apostles, when they were authorized to put together the New Testament, they are inerrant. That's the big difference. So what is the truth? Truth is to have fellowship with the Father and the Son. We must have fellowship with the apostles, the eyewitnesses of Yahusha, and authorized to proclaim and testify about Yahusha by heeding the message of the New Testament scriptures and being brought into fellowship with Yahusha, okay? So that's the truth about 1 John 1, 3. Let's go to the next one, Colossians 1, 25. How many here are familiar with Colossians 1, verse 25? Let's go ahead and read Colossians 1, 25, of which I have become minister according to the administration of God, which hath been given unto me uh, to you, Lord, to fill up the word of God. And so they will go to the Rotherham emphasized Bible to get the word administration of God, right? So they have to go to Rotherham because it's not in the other translations. It's like the Acts 2020 Lamza, right? Here they use the Rotherham emphasized Bible. And it mentions, I have become minister according to the administration of God. And what is the purpose of the administration of God? To fill up the word of God. So what is their claim? Only the church administrator, because it mentions the word administration, or executive leader has the authority to preach the word of God. Only he has the right to proclaim the message of God. No one else. It must come from him. And so he will be the one to preach the gospel and what he preaches will go to the different local congregations, but it must come from him and him alone, okay? And so how do they use or misuse Colossians 1, verse 25? Well, if you, think, if you look at this, of which I have become minister, who is the one speaking here? Apostle Paul. Is it true that Apostle Paul is one of the administrators of Yahuwah, of the church? Is he? Is he one of the administrators? Well, when you use the word administrator in this passage, it's actually not. And we'll show you that later on. Is it true that Apostle Paul was given the authority to preach the word of God? What is your answer? Yeah, we don't deny that. But is Apostle Paul using Colossians 1.25 to prove there's only one executive leader who will preach the word of God? Did he say, I have become minister? And I'm the only one, nobody else, just me, because the administration of God says so. I'm the only one who can fill up the word of God. Is that what Apostle Paul is saying? No. What Apostle Paul is saying is he has become a minister according to the administration of God to fill up the word of God. Now, what does that mean? According to the administration of God. The word administration used in this passage does not represent a council of leaders. It represents the work of administering. There's a difference. Administration meaning the verb administer. Okay. So he is, he became a, a minister according to the work of God administering certain gifts. Administering through the work of the Holy Spirit to fill up the word out. God. This is why in the numerous other translations so that you will not get confused. This is what it says, according to the dispensation of God. So the word to administer does not mean a group of leaders, right? It means to dispense 
You see, God has authorities and gifts that he dispenses. He dispenses these gifts, one of which is to fulfill the word of God. To whom did he dispense his gift? Apostle Paul. Was it only to Apostle Paul? No, no, no. And how does Yahuwah God dispense his gifts? Let's read Ephesians 3, 1 to 5. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Yahushua for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, the dispensation, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So how does Yahuwah dispense the gift of preaching the word of God? By giving the Holy Spirit. And with to whom did he dispense the Holy Spirit so that they can preach the word of God. Was it just the apostle Paul? Bible says revealed by the spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. When apostle Paul wrote Colossians 1.25. Is it correct to use that passage and make the conclusion there's only one person. The executive leader who can preach the word of God. No, because apostle Paul was not the only one who preached the word of God. James, did he preach the word of God? How about John? Yeah. How about Peter? Yeah. And so why do you have this idea? There's only one person who can preach the word of God. No, the truth is those who receive and are empowered by the spirit of God, what will they be able to do? Preach the word of God. What proves this? Acts 11, 27 to 30. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine uh, would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided um, to give, to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, they did sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Paul. Now here's uh, a person by the name of Agabus. And what did he proclaim? A prophecy, a message of God. What was it about? It's about the upcoming severe famine. Is this message from Yahuwah Abba? Yeah, it was. How did he get this message? Did it come from Paul? From James? From Peter? From John? No, it came from who? Yahuwah. How? Through the Spirit. And so if a person has been given the spirit, what is he able to do? Proclaim the word of God. This is why it's wrong to conclude only one person can teach the word of God. Can you imagine? I want you to think about this. Can you imagine the kind of power this person will have if the whole congregation believes he's the only one who can preach the word of God, right? And so if someone, someone will explain scripture that is different from the way he explains it, and then they will be called a heretic. Can you imagine the kind of power he has? This is why Yahuwah does not work it like that. He gives it to whomever he reveal, reveals it to. For example, in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, this is what I mean, my friends. When you meet for worship, one person has a hymn, another a teaching, another a revelation from God, another a message in strange tongues. And still another, the explanation of what is said. Everything must be of help to the church. What Apostle Paul is teaching is the orderliness, right? Of the assembling of ourselves together for worship. And so you have a hymn, you have a teaching, and the explanation of what is said. And so what also does Apostle Paul reveal? Corinthians 14, 29, 31, two or three who are given God's message should speak, not just one right? Two or three, while the others are to judge what they say. But if someone sitting in the meeting receives a message from God, the one who is speaking should stop all of you. What does it say? All of you. 
When Apostle Paul says, all of you, who was it referring to? Everyone in the congregation. All of you may proclaim God's message one by one so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. So it's not just one person who has the monopoly on the Holy Spirit. That's a dangerous doctrine. People who proclaim that doctrine, that only they have the Holy Spirit so that only they can teach the word of God. Whenever someone will preach that, run away. That is the spirit of the Antichrist because only Christ can make that claim. But if somebody else will make that claim, they are presenting themselves to be like who? Christ. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. Why can we accept the fact that today there are many who will be able to proclaim the message of God? Acts 2, 17 and 21. In the last days, God says, I will pour my spirit on everyone. Your sons and daughters will speak what God has revealed. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour my spirit on my servants on both men and women they will speak what god has revealed i will work miracles in the sky give signs on the earth blood fire and clouds of smoke the sun will become dark the moon will become as red as blood before the terrifying day of yahuwah comes then whoever calls on my name yahuwah will be saved and so why is god able to reveal his message to many people today not just one person because the bible says there's something Yahuwah is going to do in our time. What is that? He's going to pour his spirit. Remember, if you don't have the spirit, even if you preach the word of God, you're not going to preach it correctly. It is the spirit of God that enables us to proclaim mightily the word of God. This is why you cannot say it's only one person. If it's not the executive leader, then we don't believe it because the Yahuwah God pours his spirit only upon the church administrator. No, no, no. That is wrong. That is an act of deception. Deception. Only the church administrator or executive leader has the authority to preach the word of God. That's deception. Okay, the truth is God uses not just one person to proclaim his words, but uses many according to his dispensation and empowered by his spirit. Okay. Let's go to the last one, Hebrews 13, verse 17. How many here know Hebrews 13, verse 17? It's probably going to be read in their next worship service. <laughs> what does it say? Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. It's a favorite word to preach. For they watch out for your souls as though who must give account. Let them do so with joy, not with grief or what? for that would be unprofitable for you. So that's Hebrews 13, 17. And in Hebrews 13, 17, there's an instruction to the members of the church. And the instruction goes like this. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. And so how do they apply this passage? They make the claim it is a sin. Okay. In fact, it's even one of the their Ten Commandments. It is a sin to disobey or question the decisions of the church administrator or executive leader because we are commanded to be completely submissive to them, meaning obey and never complain. So that's the claim. And they get that claim from the biblical passage, Hebrews 13, 17, which does say, who rule over you? Hmm. Does that prove that there is one overall leader who will rule? over the members of the assembly? If we look at the Greek word of the word rule over, it's actually not to rule over. It's actually, actually the word leading. The Greek word hegomenoi. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But it means to lead, the ones leading you. This is why in many translations of the Holy Bible, it says obey your leaders and submit to their authority and so there are leaders and according to this instruction you are to obey your leaders and submit to their authority well there you go brother it says obey and submit this is why we're telling you we have to really use the word of god remember hebrews 4 12 we have to really discern to know the difference between the truth and what is almost true and so does this passage tell us 
that there is one overall leader who will rule over because the members will submit completely and obey everything that they say. No, because Apostle Paul in writing Hebrews 13, 17 is not referring to absolute, but conditional submission. There's a difference between absolute and conditional submission. And this is found throughout scripture. For example, in Romans 13, one to two, everyone must submit himself to governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist has been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling God uh, against God, against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Here is very clear. Apostle Paul tells us we have the responsibility to obey and submit to governing authorities, whether the king, the governor, the mayor, right? We're supposed to submit to them and their authority. Why? Because God has established them. If you rebel against them, you rebel against God. However, when Apostle Paul says everyone must submit himself to governing authorities, does this mean absolute submission? or conditional submission. What do you think? It is conditional submission. What's the proof? This is why we have to use the whole word of God. Mark 12, verse 17, then Yahushua said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. So what is the condition that gives us the guideline, that governs the guideline, that we are to submit even to governing authorities. Bible says it's not absolute, but conditional. It's conditional upon the will of Yahuwah. This is why Yahushua said, give to Caesar what is Caesar. Submit to Caesar. Submit to his authority, right? But give to God what is God's. If what the Caesar is wanting you to do is against the will of God, what are we to do? Are we going to do it? No, we are to reject it. This is why the members there in Smyrna, right? And the members in Thyatira, what happened to them? They were persecuted. Why? Because they, there, there was emperor worship that was installed in Smyrna and Thyatira. They were called once a year to line up and to get make a pledge that uh, Caesar is Lord, right? They get a pinch of incense and they're going to place it on the altar of fire and you get the puff of smoke and they will say Caesar is Lord. But they never did that. They defied the Caesar. They did not obey or submit to the Caesar. Because of that, many of them were put to death. Give to Caesar what is Caesar. Give to God what is God. And so when it comes to submission to our spiritual leaders, it is not meant as an absolute submission. You know why? Because human leaders, do they make mistakes? Yeah, see, that's the problem. Human leaders make mistakes. And as we know, human beings are prone to corruption, especially when you give them some power. This is why absolute condition or absolute uh, submission to so-called spiritual leaders, leaders is not what the Bible is speaking about, Hebrews 13, 17. How is that proven? Let's look at the text itself. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. And in verse 18 says, we are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. And so what must we consider before we implement what our church leaders are telling us to do? Consider the outcome of the way of life and imitate their faith. And so the Bible is telling us before we go out and carry or carry out and execute what our leaders are telling us to do, we need to first consider the outcome. Consider what they're actually making us do. This is why Apostle Paul in Thessalonians 5.12 says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. But what does it say? test everything that is said, hold on to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. So we are to test everything that is said. We don't just say amen 
Because if we say amen to whatever our spiritual leaders tell us, then we are making our spiritual leaders like who? Like Christ. And that's not the purpose of spiritual leadership. The purpose of spiritual leadership is to take us to who? To Yahusha, who is the true Christ. So the deception here is when they make the claim it is a sin to obey, to disobey, or question the decisions of the church administrator or executive leader, because we are commanded to be completely submissive to them, obey, and never complain. The truth is, we are commanded to submit to, respect, obey, love our spiritual leaders if what they implement is according to the word of God. So we have to test it. And this is what we did today, did we not? Right? There are those who are, are advocates of church rulership. They use First John 1, 3. This is why they even pray, please unite us with the church administration so that we can be united to you. That's blasphemy, brethren. That is blasphemy. Can you imagine that? Please unite us with the church administration so that we can be united to you? That is blasphemy. First John 1 John 1.3, they misuse. First John 1 John 1.3, Colossians 1.25. They say they're the only ones who can teach the word of God. And so nobody reads the Bible, right? Oh, I cannot read the Bible because I, it's only our executive leader who can correctly read it. Hebrews 13, 17, they allow, they give absolute submission to their spiritual leaders here on earth. These are all biblical passages that have been twisted and used by those who are advocates of one church rulership, the spirit of the Antichrist. Apostle Paul is against rulership. This is why in Revelation 2, 6 and 2, 15, he says, but this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, right? Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. The word Nicolaitan refers to two Greek words, Nikau and Leite. Rule, Nikau means to rule. Leite means the, the Leite, the layman, the common person, the member of the assembly. And so it's to rule over the Leite. And so Yahushua is against rulership. And the Antichrist is for rulership. And the Antichrist is going to be the one world, one world ruler because he wants to replace Yahusha, who is going to be the true ruler over the whole kingdom of the earth, king of kings and lord of lords. But here's the Antichrist. He wants to take that away from him. He's going to present himself as that one world ruler. And so the spirit of the Antichrist is the spirit of the Nicolaitans. The deeds of the Nicolaitans is the use of religious authority to control to control over and rule the laity. The, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is it is a sin to question spiritual leaders or religious authority. This is a form of dictatorship, the spirit of the Antichrist and dictatorships over the history of the world. We know whether it be in the political or religious arena, it always results in the greatest atrocities against God and Men, how many have Stalin, Lenin, Hitler killed? How many? Millions upon millions. How many has the Catholic Church slain because of the work, because of the Nicolaitans, because of the deeds and the spirit of rulership? How many? Millions upon millions. This is why it is the spirit of the Antichrist. And the Antichrist himself, you know what he's going to do? He's going to use his uh, second in command. You can say that. And this is what he's going to cause. Revelation 13, verse 17. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Did you know? During Roman times, the emperor, before anyone can do anything, they had to get a permission. It's like today. For example, you have a house. It's your house. You own the house, right? But you want to build a pool in your backyard. What do you need to do first? You need to go to the government, right? And ask for a permit. If there's a permit, good. If you put a swimming pool without a permit, what happens to you? You're going to be in trouble, right? During Roman times, the emperor controlled everything. There has to be a permission. There has to be a permit before you can do anything. You know, the spirit of the Antichrist is this ruler who's going to oversee everything in the church. And before anyone can do anything, there has to be a permit. <laughs> you know, it has to be approved by their leader. There's going to be this giving of a mark 
on the right hand around there, or has to control the lady. That's the spirit and way of the Antichrist. And so what do they operate by? What principle? It's the principle of fear. You know how they do that? How they operate by the principle of fear? So that no one would ever question them in the book of 2 John 1, 10 to 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. You know, what uh, some religious organizations will do is they will practice expulsion. Not only will they practice expulsion, they will write a letter to the congregation stating that so and so has been expelled, right? And then depending on what the sin was, if the sin is questioning the administration, questioning the executive leader, they're going to add a letter that says, do not receive him into your house, do not greet him. And they're going to attach 2 John 1, 10 to 11. And so again, they misuse 2 John 1, 10 to 11. According to 2 John 10, 1, 10 to 11, who should not be greeted who should not be received? The Bible says they're the ones who bring a certain doctrine, right? Uh, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, in other words, they're not upholding a certain doctrine. This is why if they come to you, do not receive them, do not greet them. And so there's a certain doctrine Apostle John is referring to here. What is that doctrine? Is Apostle John teaching here about rebelling against the church leaders? Is that what he's talking about? Is that the doctrine? The doctrine of the church leader? Let's read. What is that doctrine? Second John 1, 7 to 11. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Yahushua Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things which we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So when Apostle John says, those who do not have this doctrine do not receive him, what doctrine is he talking about? It's pretty evident, right? This doctrine is referring to what? Do you see it? The doctrine of Christ. What is that doctrine of Christ? Is Apostle John writing about questioning the so-called executive leader of the church? Is that what it's about? Because the only time they give this expulsion with a letter to do first John, 2 John 1.10 is when they are questioning the executive minister. What does that mean? Well, it probably means they're making the claim that their doctrine is like the doctrine of Christ. If you reject them, it's like rejecting Christ, which is a scary thing, you know? And so what is that doctrine of Christ? Let's go read 2 John 1, 5 to 6. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have heard from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands, as you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So that's the doctrine of Christ that Apostle John was referring to. This is why those who misuse biblical passages, they do so to invoke fear so that people will listen to them. But when it comes to real Christian leadership, how did Apostle Peter describe it? First Peter 5, 1 to 4, I who am an elder myself, Appeal to the church elders among you. I am a witness of Christ's sufferings, and I will share in the glory that will be revealed. I appeal to you to be shepherds of the flock that God gave you and to take care of it willingly as God wants you to, and not willingly, unwillingly. Do your work, not for mere pay, but for a real desire to serve. Do not try to rule over those who have been put in your care, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the glorious crown 
which will never lose its brightness. So according to Apostle Peter, who was one of the elders, and because he was an elder, he was taking care of the flock. How are we to take care of the flock? We are to be shepherds over the flock. What does that mean? Apostle Peter says, do not try to rule over them. Do not be lords over them. This is Apostle Peter. He has authority, but he never preached that those who are called to be elders are to rule over the flock. They're to be good examples. And why did Apostle Peter preach this and follow this and teach this again and again? Because it was taught by Yahushua. See, when it comes to leadership inside the assembly, inside the church, what is the golden rule? Matthew 20, 25, 28. So Yahushua called them all together and said, you know that the rulers of the heathen have power over them and the leaders have complete authority. This, however, is not the way it shall be among you. If one of you wants to be great, you must be the servant of the rest. And if one of you wants to be first, you must be the slave of the others. Like the son of man who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life to redeem many people. That's the golden rule of spiritual leadership. It's not to use power and authority over the laity, not to rule over the laity, but to serve as examples and to serve, not to be served. And so the question we ask you, brethren, what do we believe? What is happening in our church, in our assembly? Who is being followed? We have to test that. We have to test that because Yahushua wants us to follow him as our true leader and teacher. And so what, what spirit must reign in our hearts? John 13, 13 and 17, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so Yahushua gave us an example of leadership. It is servanthood. It is serving. It is humility. It's not being a ruler over them, but to serve them with humility, just like Yahushua, who taught and also showed the good example by washing his disciples' feet. That's the spirit and essence of leadership. It's not to rule. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. What's the spirit of Christ? It is to serve. Do you see the difference? The Nicolaitans and the ways of the apostles are very different. The way of the Antichrist to rule. You cannot question me. Do what I say. Right? But the way of Christ, it is to serve with humility. And never, ever forget who we are. What must we never allow to happen? Let's read one more passage before we pray together. Romans 8, 15 to 17. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Apostle Paul reminds us that we have received the spirit of sonship. This is why we cry out, Yahuwah Abba. He is our father. Because he is our father, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Which means what? Christ, Yahusha, he's our true leader. Remember what Yahusha said? Do not be called rabbi. Do not be called teacher. Do not be called leader. Because you only have one Mashiach. That's who? Yahusha. So do not let anyone rule over you with fear. Instead, place your trust and hope in the one true Mashiach, that is Yahusha, the Christ. And do not be afraid of the persecution that comes with being united with Yahusha, because he said, the Bible says if we share in his sufferings, we will also share in his 
glory. And so let us place our trust, not in the false Christs, but in the true Christ, who is Yahusha HaMashiach himself. That is our lesson for today. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Almighty and merciful Father, Yahuwah, our loving God in heaven, thank you so much for listening to the prayers of your people. You have given us the Mashiach, the anointed one, the only begotten son, Yahusha, whom you sent. We have faith in you, Father, and we have faith in your beloved son. Yahusha, our dear king, we pledge loyalty to you. We are your humble servants. We will abide by your teachings. Teach us to embody your principles, to follow and practice your doctrines, that we will be good examples of the fold in the spirit of servanthood. Yahushua, may you be in our hearts. When we pray to you, may we feel your presence. When we assemble together for the purpose of worship, manifest yourself because we cannot survive. We cannot overcome. We cannot stand apart from you. Father, thank you for giving us your message. Help us to be discerning because there is much deception in the world today. Help us to properly use scripture that we can use it to be able to find the difference between the truth and what is almost true. Father, bless us with the power of your spirit in everything that we do. We ask everything loving Abba in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.